Hello and welcome to Meaning What. I'm Matt Wiseman. Today I wanted to get to the last minute before the election, right? Uh, Tomorrow is November 3rd and I'm recording this the night before and I just wanted to give you a little bit of a, I don't know, understanding of politics if you don't know anything just kind of an explanation of how this must be going. Um, I mean, it's no surprise to anyone that I there's nothing but bad choices, right? Donald J. Trump and Joseph Biden are not good choices for America, and it's not what we need right now. They're both very old, they're both set in their ways, and... Uh, Trump could have been this breath of fresh air. He could have been something. And now everybody's trying to give that to Biden. And because they're so afraid of Trump and they are feeding into this fear. And I feel like we've been at this point of just fear and hatred and division for so long that anything, literally anyone... But Trump, it, it, it is the what the Democrats are pushing in this election is anyone but Trump. Uh, and they want to make it seem like it's an affirmative message that they're going to restore America. To what? What it was wasn't very good. Trump is an extension of the policies of, that brought us here. Joe Biden is one of the authors of those policies. And I don't think Donald Trump is a fascist. I don't even think he's the worst uh, president we've ever had. I mean, we've had slaveholders and active racists. Even LBJ was an active racist in the White House. Now, there's all these theories about how people can be moved and who do you want to fight and... I just, I felt that with this round with Bernie Sanders, that we would actually have a populist uprising, that these two parties were just headed off a cliff and that we wouldn't have to hear about Democrats and Republicans anymore. We could actually have a worker center party and that ship has sailed and we are in a worse place. And it's not even entirely the politician's fault. But it is the system's fault because we reacted uniquely to this pandemic. We failed catastrophically and they place it at Trump's feet. But actuality, there's not a solution in government for this kind of thing. There just isn't. That our government, during my whole lifetime, it has been a failure. And I'll explain that. I'll explain how we have had this imbalanced government and it has been heavily leaning to one side. And that one side is the private market. That one side is private industry. That one side is the, the power of the donor class and Wall Street and Hollywood and Silicon Valley and, you know, the uh, the uh, hospital industrial complex and big pharma and all of the donor class, all of the industries have run the government. 
and the government has been happy to be second fiddle. But what do the people get? Well, people die. The people, the environment gets ruined. And that's before the pandemic. So I'm just sick of it all. I'm sick of politics. I'm sick of constant crises. I'm sick of the pandemic. And it's getting to me. And mental health is wearing. And I think we're going to have a major mental health crisis. And an opioid crisis is going to just escalate. And we don't have answers for these things. Because we don't... Our government doesn't want to provide them. They don't want to provide services. They don't want to think of themselves except as another business. That the government is a business. But the actual the government is not a business. It does not have to watch its deficit. It does not have to be responsible in that way because the end goal of government isn't to make a profit. It just isn't. The goal of government is to protect its people. And if you say you're not going to spend money because you're afraid there's going to be a deficit or you're afraid of inflation in the long term, then what are you really telling people? You're saying, I don't want to raise taxes, so I want you to die? I want you to not have public parks. I want you to not have clean air, clean water. I don't I don't want these things for you. I don't want you to have education. I don't want you to have health care. I don't want you to be protected from a pandemic because I want to make private industry money and I don't want to pay have my friends and the people that put me into office pay taxes. That's where we are. And this race, this 2020 race, was about, it was Trump's race to lose. And he's lost it, and and I don't think he can pull it out. But the fact that he even has a possibility is shameful. And the Democrats should be shamed. Because they could have been the people of the party. They could have done something better than they did. And they didn't want to. They were too interested in getting the neocon conservative movement here with George W. Bush and the, the McCain people and all of the Lincoln part of the, 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 the Lincoln project, the, the resistors on MSNBC and CNN, all of these Russiagate uh, conspiracy theory guys, they wanted to get all of them involved. And so in order to do that, to get the people in the suburbs that didn't want their taxes to go up, they had to sell out the working people again. And they did. The sad fact is, is that this election is the pandemic COVID-19 election and the pain we've suffered, the the three crises are just compounding and they're about to get worse. So this dark winter is going to be really painful, partly because they couldn't find a way to have a stimulus. So I have three sections for you today. It's just things that are on my mind, but... One, uh, we're going to talk about the two founding principles of the U.S. and the very beginning in the Constitution. Then we're going to—I'm um, going to tell you about um, the right and the left. People like to say that the Democrats are the left wing, and, and they're the progressives, and they're the liberals, um, or the liberals anyway, uh, which is laissez-faire, right? But uh, and that on the right you have your conservatives and your aggressives. Um, which is your your grand old party, the Republicans. So I'm going to explain what the left and right is and, um, te- and give you a little bit about that and the history. And then we'll go to Trump versus Biden. So stay tuned. Um, 
I hope this is informative, and I'll be right back. Part 1. The origins in the Declaration of Independence. The two competing ideologies when the Constitution was written in 1776, right? After it was ratified and this country was founded, we we had these two ideologies. There was one left over from feudalism that became the... Uh, capitalistic uh, empire that we had in England. And so that influence really struck us. And it was very important for the revolutionaries and these new Americans that fought a revolutionary war to be different, but also that they wanted to maintain certain status. So only white men could vote that held land. And they knew they were going to have slaves, and so they had to have rights for the white men um, that encouraged slave ownership, but also because they were agricultural-based, and they wanted superiority of the landholders, the landlords, right? And so they understood that it had to be a capitalist system where you had a exploitation of the worker, and in this case, the slaves as well where there there was absolutely this employee-employer relationship where the employee provides more than the he's, he or she is getting paid. And therefore, the employer let's, maintains a higher status, social and economically, because they take the, the benefits of the labor, the rights of the laborer, the rights of production, who the laborer actually provides, whether it is making products or selling services. That has a value, and they are paid less than that value, and the difference is what the employer keeps, called exploitation. And it's how capitalism works. Now, the other ideology that was very important to the early revolutionaries, the founding fathers, was the Enlightenment. In this idea of democracy, which inherently says one person gets one vote. So they wanted to incorporate this idea of a democracy, this idea of inalienable rights. And that's where the Bill of Rights really comes in as well, where you have the right to dissent. You have the right to petition your government. You have the right to vote. And that wasn't extended to women. And that wasn't extended to people of color. It was only landholders. So it was already flawed. And they knew this. But they went ahead with a contradiction anyway. Because they were not ready to depart with the slave system. They were not ready to depart with the capitalist exploitation machine. And we still aren't. Now this gets compounded, these two ideals, with slavery. And when you get to the end of slavery, uh, in the late 19th century, right? So 1880s, I think, is when the Civil War happened, and then you had Reconstruction. So during this period, you have the Northern abolitionists that didn't have an economy that was based upon agriculture, and they didn't require black people to be enslaved. And they said, hey, 
I'm going to continue this idea of the Enlightenment. I'm going to continue this idea of the rights of labor and the rights of workers. And I'm going to encourage that there is a universal application of those rights so that black people and women can become full citizens on par with white men, especially white, white landowning men. And of course, this was a total affront to the society and the life of how the southern slaveholders were living, which was a capitalist society of excesses, of exploitation. And that was how they built their lives, their culture. So there was a war over this. And they say cousin versus cousin, and there was massive casualties. So even though we fought this war, these ideas really never changed. We still have this exploitation of the worker. We still, you know, they had Reconstruction, and then the the the, the slaveholders and the leaders of the 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 of the Union just kind of gave up, and eventually stopped protecting the the new black citizens, and the the local governments were reinstated um, during Reconstruction, and they ended up returning to a certain kind of exploitation and they were allowed to be in charge of the 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 police and the marshals and they were allowed to be in charge of the governments um even though they had to now include black people black people were never still are not never ever free in the sense that they do not have the same rights as white landowners now taking something that was explicitly racial and turning it into economic discrimination doesn't mean that that kind of exploitation goes away. It absolutely doesn't. And we live on this system of exploitation where our rights are perpetually affronted. We give up rights every day, our, our inalienable rights, our words, rights of the working class, the workers' rights, the labor rights, whatever you want to call it, we're giving up part of our democracy every single day. And this has been a downward slope. And you don't even have to go that far back. You can go to the Patriot Act. That What, what happens in the Patriot Act, what the Department of Homeland Security is, and this is not original. It's not something that the U.S. invented. There's been other ones. It's a domestic spy agency. What the purpose of the DHS is, is to watch and observe any suspected terrorists uh, and act on them. And they are extrajudicial, which means that they are not like the Federal Bureau of Investigations where they have to follow law enforcement and they have these code of conducts. They are literally able to do whatever they want without accountability. And so there have been a lot of these disparate groups under the umbrella of DHS, whether it's the U.S. Marshals, which used to be for fugitives, and now it's for anything and everything. Federal officers that can deputize other people, and we saw this during the protests. So our right to protest is being infringed by marshals that were deputized that might not have training and might not be prepared and might not care because there's no accountability in that system. And then we have uh, the uh, ICE officers, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, who we know have been putting people in cages and we've been separating mothers. There's been uh, mothers and uh, mothers and uh, mothers and fathers from their children. And there's like 530 children that are not accounted for that. We can't find their parents. 
um, that they put people in cage as they await processing so they can get into uh, the U.S. and be accounted for while they are awaiting this processing. Um, and th that is horrendous. And it's been this war on immigrants and war on the other, which is in the face, which flies in the face of the idea of certain inalienable rights. If we can extend these rights to our own citizens, then we can certainly extend them to other citizens. We can certain them, make it judicial. We just have the, there be oversight. And there's not. And why? Why can we be spied on? Why is our privacy infringed upon? Why do immigrants have to be treated inhumanely? Why, when we protest, we're not guaranteed our safety, but instead we're antagonized and we're shot at? Whether um, And even more recently, you can even look at the Department of State. The Department of Justice is trying to prosecute Julian Assange and is working hard, very hard, to make sure that he can be prosecuted and be extradited to the U.S. for being a journalist, for printing hacked material, which is what journalists do. He, they didn't break any laws. The whistleblower broke the laws. But somehow the journalist is responsible for printing that material, for telling the truth. There are protections for these people. So we are giving up our right to a free press. We are giving up our right to privacy. And for what? So that the executive branch can have more power. So that the capitalist class can ensure its supremacy. And this gets into racism. This gets into white supremacy and its supremacist attitude. The slaveholders, like I said explicitly, were capitalists. They held property, and their rights to hold property was greater than the rights of the property to be considered human. So it's always going to be capitalists against labor. And that's how this country was defined. Part two. What, what is the right wing versus left wing? Traditionally, we call the Democrats the left wing and we call the Republicans the right wing. But that wasn't so before, um, before the Civil War. There was uh, Republicans were the party of the North and they were the party of big business and property. And the party of the South was the, the um, Whigs, I think. But regardless, the GOP ends up taking supremacy um, under Lincoln. Now that gets switched around eventually, and it begins that the they call the the Liberal Party is the Democratic Party, and the Conservative Party is the Republican Party. But that these distinctions don't really matter anymore. It used to be the Republicans were the party of small government, local state government over the federal government, which was the Democrat Party. But I don't even think that that's a distinction anymore, that people actually fall to that. Right now, it seems that the, the GOP is the party of religion and the party of fossil fuels and the party of climate change denial and the party of the family and the party of, of um, this kind of local power and local empowerment and the power of the family the power of the power of you know religious freedoms um, 
and protecting our rights is like especially our gun rights while the the democratic party is the party of big industry um of hollywood the party of uh, uh silicon valley and these tech billionaires and social media groups um so they're glitz and grammar it's the it's the party of the one percent with the GOP versus the party of the top ten percent, and one is socially conservative, the GOP, and the other one is uh, socially uh, progressive, which means that they they will include in language uh, protected classes, right? Um, so people look to the rights of the laborer, which is traditional left wing the. The, through the Enlightenment ideals and then through the certain alienable rights and even through the protections under the law, they, that is the realm of the worker. That is the realm of the labor movement and that is the traditional left wing is based around labor while the traditional right wing is the rights of property. So the property holders, the capitalists, the capitalist class. And so we have this contradiction where... The GOP wants to defend some rights, but then they are exclusive and, you know, like freedoms and gun rights and the rights of the individual, but then they actually don't want to spend any money on them. So they're these fiscally conservative, small government, you know, want to destroy government when the terms of libertarianism um, or anarcho-capitalists, if you like, they want there to be no central government and the government to do very little or nothing and that people should be on their own, which is basically oligarchy. You're just surrendering your power to warlords or to the the war the business elites, right? These oligarchs, the capitalists amongst capitalists, the monopoly that you just don't want to break up. Um, but then there is this move to break them up, probably because the, what they're starting is the breaking up these monopolies of big tech, which is the big supporters of the Democrats. Now, the Democrats, are they the party of labor? Are they the party of the workers? Are they the party of rights? None of that is true. There is progressives. There are people there that are economic progressives that want to spend money, that want to provide services, that want to put universal programs. But you're talking like 90 people, maybe, maybe 20 out of 400. So that can't define the party. The party is just another right-wing party, a party of property owners, party of property holders. And there is no left-wing. And this is how we have the essential problem when the pandemic happens, because there was no one willing to spend money. There was no one willing to do what was right to save American lives, which is the purpose of government. You're supposed to protect lives and welfare of your citizens. That is all you're really supposed to do. And they are too busy with the, the idea of global capitalism. They are too busy with the idea of fiscal austerity and letting the oligarchs do what they will in the free market, which is actually not free because the U.S. has guaranteed that no one will be accountable for what they do if you have a certain amount of money, especially in industries. Look at banking since 2007, 2008, right? Since the banking crisis, now we have this fintech report. We've seen every single bank is corrupt. And then at the top of the heap, uh, or at least, you know, the most obvious one is Deutsche Bank. But are they allowed to operate? Are they allowed to stay, you know, in business? Absolutely. There's nothing stopping them. And they are supporting some of the worst people. And in turn, the U.S. is supporting some of the worst people. 
you know, murderers and cartels and drug traffickers and sex traffickers, uh, you know, slaveholders, modern day warlords. Like these are the worst people imaginable. And the U.S. government is supporting a banking system that allows their all their money to go into our government, allows all their money to go into the global market. That's a fact. You know, when you talk about globalism, it's a race to the bottom and you always, always, always are infringing on the rights of the labor movement. Right now, we're in a situation where people are held in cages at the border while products flow freely. There's something disgusting about that. We want to exploit these people in other nations and then in turn neglect our own people and disregard them as human beings, disregard them as even our citizens. And even when we look at our citizens, we disregard them as being valid human beings as well. We don't treat them as well or as good as as with what respect as we do property owners so the capitalists we we essentially assign value of the individual based on the amount of things you own so you are a success if you own a lot of things means of production if you will your capital but you are a failure if you don't and essentially this is this is kind of perverse, but we say there's systemic racism and then we have to change your ideology and saying that you can be an anti-racist capitalist. And like, what is that? How could you be against the system of, of racism and then also support that system of racism? That's like saying you're an anti-racist slaveholder. It's a contradiction. If you are anti-racist, if you believe in these ideas that we hold, that exploitation is the source of discrimination and that in order to get rid of exploitation, we have to honor our commitment to the Enlightenment, our commitment to labor, our commitment to workers' rights, then how come you're not supporting unions? How come you're not supporting uh, a, a system that doesn't exploit people, that doesn't punish people for being different, doesn't punish people for being born different, that doesn't take the wealth that, be that belongs to the worker you know, the, who own the means of production because they are providing the labor and they're providing the services and constantly shoveling it up up to the 1%, up to this, this class of owners who do nothing. They're not necessary. We do not need an ownership class. We do not need a capitalist class. That's how co-ops work. You can have a leader in a cooperative without having a boss. Somebody's going to manage you. Somebody's going to do a job, but they can't. They have a, a salary cap that's relative to your salary. Just one example of how things could be differently. So if you believe in democracy, if you believe in the people, if you believe in the, the rights of workers and rights in general, then you have to look at the capitalist system and you have to say this isn't good. Because the capitalist system will only take your rights away. All right, now's the part you've all been waiting for, part three, Trump and Biden. All right, let's discuss Trump first. Trump, he ran as this conservative right-wing populist. 
So what's that mean? What is that talking about? Well, he wanted to protect our borders with the border wall. He wanted to to stop um, globalization and bring jobs home, support our workers, support our economy domestically. Uh, he was a populist, so he wanted to give to the people. So that means basically having universal programs. So that means spending. You can't do that without spending money or cutting um, money that you already spend to something else. So what were some of the promises he made? He said he wanted to do a big infrastructure plan. That means creating jobs and spending money again. You get something out of it. You get to fix your infrastructure. But you are also creating good jobs that go to Americans. And that money stays in the economy. And they get spent. And people buy houses. And they're more secure because you are funding them through the government. Um, and then he also wanted to have domestic manufacturing. Now, did he start national programs or incentives for uh, small businesses or medium businesses to expand? No. What he did was have tax incentives for people in other countries like Foxcom that's in Taiwan to come here. And they make everything. They make iPhones and they were going to come here. And they gave them something like $3 billion to have a factory in Wisconsin. Well, it turned out to be a colossal failure and they never hired more than like 150 people, just enough so they could get their, their um, tax credits. But they didn't actually hire anybody. The money didn't go to our economy. We spent money in incentives to get nothing. You could have just given it to the people. If you wanted that to happen, you could have given it to the people. And they would have started a business and actually produced something. Foxconn started business and did nothing. They built a big building. Um, then there, there was this promise of great health care that they're going to re repeal and replace Obama. You know, we've been hearing it for years and years and years. And there was going to be great health care. Everybody's going to be taken care of. We're going to, you know, take care of your pre-existing conditions. Well, there's absolutely no evidence that he was going to. He had no plan to. And there was nothing that there was even to vote on. And why? Because the Affordable Health Care Act, the one that all the Republicans hated, that Obama pushed through, was the Republican plan. It was the Republican plan under Mitt Romney when he was the governor of Massachusetts. This liberal state had a Republican governor and they put through this plan. And Obama took it and put it across the nation. But it was the Republican plan. And why is it the Republican plan? Because... There is a marketplace and there is an incentive for new businesses, new insurance businesses to come. And there is a, a, a certain amount of incentives that are paid into the system. So the government basically gives money to private insurance companies so they can take money from people. That's what the ACA is. It is a, a system that funnels taxpayer money to private corporations so that we can have a little more insurance. So... What's better than that is a public option. What's better than that is Medicare for all. It's just letting the government take it all over. And a lot of democracies and a lot of the uh, other republics do that. And he promised to end globalism, global trade. Through, he railed against NAFTA and the TPP. And he renegotiated NAFTA, but it's not over. He didn't end global capitalism. That was ridiculous, and he was never going to in the first place. But these are promises that he made. He said he was going to end corruption and drain the swamp, that there was not going to be all of this deep state and these problems with, um, with corruption. I don't know one thing he's done that is done to end corruption. 
if anything, he's been a typical politician, a corrupt politician. But there's a lot of legal corruption. And some of that's been illegal, too, that he's done. But it's not been enough to impeach him, as we saw. And he also promised to center the, the, the government around working people. And that is a genius idea. And if he did it, he would have been very different than any other politician in 50 years. And, and obviously a, a hero to a lot of working people. And lastly, he said he was going to use diplomacy. He was going to talk to these tyrants and these people that we were shutting out of government. We were shutting out of these international relations. And I support that entirely. Why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't he talk to these people that we're, we're fighting, you know, like Kim Jong-un? If you can find a way to make concessions with just words, please do. Why not? If you got to stroke somebody's ego, then do it. But... Words cost you nothing. It's actions that are going to cost, right? So how how did Trump govern? How was he actually in business? Uh, he governed as a neoconservative. He governed as a libertarian. He, he didn't want to spend any U.S. money. He didn't want to spend any money on infrastructure. So an infrastructure project never got done. He didn't want to have domestic manufacturing and set it up or have incentives to grow smaller businesses. So that didn't get done. Um, he didn't want to have any great health care that was an alternative to the Republican ACA, the Obamacare. So that didn't get done. Um, he promised that he was going to build a wall and he took a lot of money to build half of a wall. Money from disaster relief, mind you. Uh, what did he do? Uh, so that was the libertarian angle. What you know, you here, I'm going to just highlight some of the things that he was continuing to do. And you said he was also going to pull out of wars which is a very progressive, very popular angle. Um, and what did he do? Like, he pulled out of Syria, betraying the Syrians that were helping us, uh, the Kurds, and the Kurdish forces that were helping us fight in Syria, and just sacrificed them to the Turks. Now, is our personal gain? Like, there's all these questions of personal gain, and I don't even want to get into the corruption. But he had nothing but deep staters eventually around him, you know, Mike Pompeo and, and all of these destructive forces that were pushing these crazy agendas, like antagonizing the Palestinians by moving the embassy into Israel or, you know, uh, or escalating tensions in South America. The, there was an attempted coup in Venezuela. There was support for Bolivian coup that did take place. And there's talk that there was involvement in Brazil with the election of Bolsonaro who now is supporting actually undoing the democracy down there. So all bad people that were being supported in South America, and you can't, you put John Bolton in charge, of course you're going to get, this guy isn't responsible for the Iran-Contra. So obviously this was going to be a, a tremendous failure regardless. But that wasn't what Donald Trump said. He was supposed to be getting out of these wars. Um, and then there's the escalation of the sanctions and the economic warfare in Iran, and even the the killing of their their, their general Soleimani, which is an act of war. The U.S. committed an act of war and didn't really have to pay for it. And that goes to the credit of the Iranians. But they are suffering tremendously for what? Because they are trying to escalate their nuclear program. 
Well, they signed a treaty that said they weren't going to, and Donald Trump backed out of it. You know, and then we can go talk about the pandemic, right? This is how, again, how he's a libertarian neoconservative. He, the, the, the greatest failure of the pandemic in the federal government was not taking responsibility and was leading, was not refusing to lead, right? They, he refused to have any kind of national, uh, national production, right? They have to have PPE. We know we needed masks. We know we needed ventilators. And he didn't get them for us. And that was just for treatment. What we definitely need is a national jobs uh, service to actually have all of these people that are employed to test and trace. We never did test and tracing because there was a problem with getting the reagents for the tests. Now, I don't know if that's ever been resolved, but it doesn't matter because it seems that the GOP has moved on to say it's all over and we're just all going to get it. And that's how we're going to deal with it. It's a colossal failure. And this election is now all about that because he's done nothing but fail on it. He could have been on top of it and it could have been painful, but they could have had rolling shutdowns. You could have done test and tracing. You could have got PPE to everybody. You could have worn the mask and kept social distanced. This guy is a germaphobe and he's a he's a would-be despot, but then what? When he gets the chance to actually seize power and do something for the American people, he does what? None of that. Just proves he was all talk and he's just a coward. And he's this person who feeds off of conflict and division. And so what did he do? He was petty and divisive and he created conflict where there didn't have to be conflict. It could have just been, we're all going to wear the mask. We're all going to keep distance from each other. I'm going to do it. You're going to do it. We're all going to be Americans together and not and suffer through this hard time together because we need each other. That's not what happened. And it's not something that's really Trump is capable of. And, you know, he dismisses 235,000 deaths of American citizens. You can't just gloss over that. We easily have one-fourth of all the deaths, or nearly one-fourth of all the deaths in the world. We don't have one-fourth the population in the world, but we have one-fourth the deaths. That is failure. And it was totally unnecessary. But he didn't want the federal government to take responsibility from the beginning. He didn't want to be the center of this. And he tried to push it off on the states and then criticize the blue states, made it political and divisive and divisive. But at the end of the day, the states don't have the financial capacity to deal with this kind of thing. They have their own Department of Health, but they are not funded this way. They are not taxing their citizens within the states to support this kind of crisis. It has to come from the federal government. It just has to. And Donald Trump refused to. And lastly, and this goes to the stimulus thing, there was no effective stimulus for working people. We got a one-time payment of $1,200. That's it. The market got juiced and the market continues to get juiced. All of these big businesses, the the airlines, Boeing got their own deal specifically. Um, All of these essential workers didn't get any kind of uh, increased pay at all. There was no state aid because the states were taking the bulk of this thing. And all they did was help the market and help big business, basically crushing Americans. The average working person is going to be worse off 
than they were before this pandemic, worse off than they were before Trump. Even when Trump's on the campaign trail, they only use statistics from up until the pandemic happened, as if they could do nothing about the pandemic. Now, they couldn't stop it from coming, but they could do something about it when it was here a lot more than they did. And the Republicans have failed colossally, but also the Democrats. Government has failed to provide for the American people. And the reason this winter is going to be so bad, and that's even if Biden wins, is because there is going to be no relief for people up until maybe February. And that's if the Democrats win and they decide they're going to actually do this. And they have to win the Senate and Congress. They have to maintain Congress. They have to win the Senate and they have to win the White House so they can be able to get something passed. Now, Joe Biden, he's a traditional corrupt neoliberal politician. What are neoliberals? We've gone over this before, but I'll tell you again. Neoliberals are the ones that took the Democratic Party and made them the party of crime reform and, and, and harsh prison reform, made us into a prison state, made the mandatory minimums uh, for, for and three strike rules. So if you make, make a mistake and you go, you got to go to jail and there's mandatory minimums and the governments can't stop that. He had the, um, the, the party of Wall Street, Wall Street deregulation. So there is no one watching Wall Street, which allowed the banks to kind of fail. And then we supported the banks with Barack Obama and Joe Biden as vice president with the bank bailout. And people lost their homes anyway, even though they were supposed to be able to keep their homes during this mortgage, uh, toxic um, the mortgages that were sold to banks and then they were sold to investors. So the market's been protected, but Joe Biden was one of the ones that actually helped ruin it. And he was one of the ones that helped sell the war in Iraq that we're still in. He was one of the ones that sold NAFTA at the beginning of his career, his 46 years in office. He was there saying that we should cut universal programs like uh, Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid. This is not the person we were actually rooting for at all. In fact, of all the 20 or so candidates that ran in the Democratic field, he was the most right wing. The most. And he had the longest history in government and he was the oldest or it's either him or Bernie Sanders, but it's right next to each other. And Bernie Sanders is not in the Democratic Party. He caucuses with them, and he's one of the top Democrats, and he gave up a lot to get that position. But he's not a Democrat, and he refuses to be. And even when it was politically inconvenient, Bernie Sanders called himself a Democratic Socialist. He could have sold himself a Social Democrat and had the same effect, but he explicitly wanted to be a Socialist. That means something. And it means something that my generation, the millennials, and then the generation behind us, the Generation Z, they, we're all screwed. We're going to do worse than our parents. There is no hope for us to ever come back from the failures of international capitalism. There's no, no way for us to ever come back and have the security that our grandparents had. There's no way for us to ever come back from years of neglect both with higher education bills and this uh, student debt, they come back from a market that has been ruined by international globalism, that has been ruined by international wars, that has been ruined by these constant crises of capitalism. We need big structural change. We need systemic change. And we're not going to get it under Joe Biden. Joe Biden, there's a, a list of his cabinet going around. 
And he wants Republicans. He wants neoconservatives, you know, the um, John Kasich and Jeff Flake and uh, the McCain type to be the new future of the Democratic Party, neoconservative Republicans. And they're canonizing George W. Bush, who lied us into a war in Iraq and increased globalization and was the bumbling fool uh, to end all fools before Donald Trump got into office. They're praising him and they want him to be part of the new tradition of the Democratic Party. That's where we are. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it all. Even unions are voting for Donald Trump. The left should be able to navigate. The people, the working party, the left should be able to push the right-wing party and the left-wing party. They should be able to navigate both of them. They should have their own party. But since the 70s, this has been locked up. Elections have been locked up. Third-party spoiler laws and uh, who's allowed to debate with the Presidential uh, Commission on Debates. All of these things are actually the way that the duopoly, which is these two parties that both represent the capitalist class, these two right-wing parties and the the, the current corporate uh, Democratic Party and the always corporate capitalist uh, GOP, that's the duopoly. And they have locked it up so there is not a democratic system. In fact, what we've seen recently is that there is a pro-censorship lane now in the Democratic Party because they are so scared. They're so scared of Donald Trump and his misinformation and his wild ideas that there has to be censorship now. That we need our social media companies to be our arbiters of truth. That's absurd. That infringes on our rights and our free speech. And there's Democrats that are all about it. There's even some progressive Democrats that are all about it. And I won't even call them in the same, they're not in the left. If you are pro-censorship, you are not in the left. You are anti-workers' rights. You are anti-rights of the democracy. You are anti-rights of the individual. And I fervently believe in democratic rights and enlightenment ideals. In conclusion, we have an important choice to make. Maybe some of that's going to be resolved tomorrow. Maybe Joe Biden has changed his his spots, his colors, and now he's going to fly a different flag. He's going to actually try and give uh, the American people what they want, what they absolutely need. Maybe there's going to be a push for more democracy for more involvement, for the electorate to actually have a voice. We gotta hope. There's every right to be angry. There's every expectation leads to it getting worse. The opioid addiction, the mental health crisis, the economic crisis, the the market crash, the economic depression. Capitalism has failed. We are living in a failed state. And global capitalism was, was has failed as of uh, 2007. 
the, the financial crash. And it's been on life support from the government since. And this idea of too big to fail has become the idea. But the fact that you're not in the market anymore, not in, you know, it's the private profits and public losses. When you're in that situation, we are already a socialist nation supporting you as a service. The only real way to deal with that is to take it over, to nationalize. The airlines were supposed to be nationalized numerous times. We constantly bail them out. At least have a national airline to compete with them. If they can't succeed, they should fail. Fine. But we want that service. We should provide it. We can. We're one of the richest nations that ever was. We can definitely provide health insurance for everybody to protect the environment with a, a Green New Deal or something comparable. We can definitely provide uh, renewable energy, high-speed internet. We can definitely provide um, electricity that doesn't go out during a storm. We can provide a well-funded public health system. We can provide a, a well-funded emergency response system. We don't have to be in global wars. We don't. There's nothing that says we have to be. But who benefits from these wars? Obviously, the military-industrial complex and the contractors that also benefit. But this, this enormous spending on the budget for defense contractors, for defense spending, is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. And it's unnecessary. But if you don't want to cut that, then just swallow more taxes. But literally, our taxes could be a little more and we could have all the services that France has. Paid time off. Free medical coverage. Gourmet food in our public schools. Good education for everyone. You know, pensions for everyone. It's just, it's absurd the way we do things. And when you see the rest of the world, even poorer nations, much poorer nations. France doesn't have as much money as the U.S., when they do more things for their people, you end up being offended. Now, I don't know why that we are the way we are, but it's sad. It makes me angry. I want the best for Americans. I want Americans to be treated better than any other citizen in the world. Why aren't we? Because the services that would be going to you go up. We have the richest man in the world live here. And why? He can exploit more people here than anywhere else. And yeah, there's global capitalism to compete with. It's a race to the bottom. You can exploit people where their currency were, is worth less than ours. And they can live on 50 cents a day or 15 cents a day. And they don't have labor protections. They have child labor. And they don't have uh, fire codes. And so factories can burn down and everybody can die inside. That's We live through tragedies. and We live through pain to get the rights that we have. And they're being stripped away so that we can compete with people overseas that don't have any rights at all. We deserve all our rights. 
they deserve rights. But we should not support a system that exploits us and treats us badly. And we should definitely not support a system that treats other people like slaves. Sometimes, like the case of palm oil that just came out, explicitly like slaves. They are slaves, creating palm oil, and we're finding uses for it here. Global capitalism has been nothing but bad for the world. It just has. Look at these great American businesses. What? Amazon? Walmart? Nike? They use global capitalism to sell us high-priced goods that they pay very little for, and they don't support Americans. They keep our money that we spend, our hard-earned money that's now less and less than it should be, because we have no power. So, should we protect Americans? I think we should fight for our rights. I think the world deserves better than what's been given. I think the exorbitant amount of wealth at the top is disgusting and it's an offense to humanity. It's unnecessary. You you couldn't possibly spend the amount of money you have if you are one of these, you know, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos types. You just can't. And then even Elon Musk, these people are heralded as titans of industry. Elon Musk said, we're going to invade and we're going to coup anyone we want. When talking about lithium, the lithium mines that Bolivia actually was in... Under, under Evo Morales, they increased the livelihood, they almost eradicated poverty, and they, they, they expanded upon the mining of lithium. Through the socialist programs under Evo Morales, they actually helped Bolivians and they actually expanded their their outpouring of lithium into the world. But yet you want to have a right-wing pro-private industry type in there that's going to exploit Bolivians and maybe reduce the amount of, of lithium being in the market? It's just so absurd. It's so absurd to think that capitalism, which exist to exploit is going to be the answer to everything it is absolutely going to be the end of everything and that could just be climate change we need to do something this is not sustainable Thank you for your time. I hope you found this informative. I hope you take this to election day and you make the choice that's right for you. I wish that Trump fulfilled his promises. I wish that I could believe Joe Biden will actually bring the change that is needed. We don't have a choice. Still vote. If you're a progressive like me, if you're uh, in, interested in democracy, I think that people on down ballot, people in these congressional races especially, are going to fight for you. They're going to do all they can. It's limited. Something. So, 
Go and vote. Don't let them fool you into thinking that they're going to steal it or that you have no choice. You have to try. And you have to. Be good to one another. Thank you. Thank you.